Hello, friends, and welcome to a golf podcast unlike any other. This is Fairway Rollin' on the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your starter, Joe House. Every week on Fairway Rollin', it is myself and our PGA Tour correspondent on the ground, Nathan Hubbard, talking all things professional golf, amateur golf, amateur betting, professional betting, amateur drinking, professional drinking by birdie buddies. If you want to hit them straight out there, please check out Fairway Rolling every week. Available on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. It is the Ringer Up One Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Kevin Clark. Charles Leclerc wins his first race since April. The Ferrari Wheel of Misfortune spins again, this time with a new combination. But Leclerc wins the race. Verstappen is second. Carlos Sainz has his day literally go up in flames as Lewis Hamilton gets a second straight podium, which used to not be a big deal. I'm joined by Ryan Hahn. Ryan, hello. What's going on, bud? Hey, Kevin. Long time. We have missed you so much. We've tried to get you on. You, you, you had soccer, which is mm-hmm. your job. For months. Yep. And then we had, you had two studio live shows. Yep. You've become too much of a star for us. That is definitely not true. Definitely um, not true. I but don't know. We haven't had any Ring Ref 1 live shows. I have missed you. I've, I, when was the last time I was on? Was it, was it the... Like April. We did a, a Ringer a Ringer F1 draft. Later on in the show, I'd like to revisit that. <laughs> That's okay. A bunch of listeners didn't understand that putting Lewis and Max in an Alfa Romeo wouldn't actually result in anything <laughs> special. But hey, yeah, the Mercedes, my choice of the Mercedes with the Haas uh, wind tunnel time, I think has come back to look pretty decent at the halfway stage. It looks okay. It looks okay. Um, it's all right. So let's go, let's go through the order here. Uh, Leclerc wins for Stappen second, Hamilton third, George Russell, Mr. Consistency fourth, Esteban Ocon fifth, Mick Schumacher, sixth. Mick Schumacher got that dog in him. People were sending me clips of Mick like in the last couple of days in interviews. He looks focused. He's like a new man. Uh, Lando, seventh. Lando also had a five-second penalty. Basically, like half the grid had a five-second penalty today. Um, Lando afterwards said that you can't see the white lines in Austria for whatever reason, like just because of the the height and maybe the elevation changes. I'm not really sure why specifically Austria you can't see the white lines, but he said you cannot see the lines. That's why there are a bunch of... Um, uh, penalties for for exceeding track limits. Magnuson, eighth. Daniel Ricardo ninth. And in the points. And Fernando Alonso, who briefly turned into Dikembe Mutombo, finger-wagging there for a little bit, uh, was 10th. Uh, Sebastian Vettel, by the way, also got a time penalty, but he was in last place of the of the cars that were still running. Uh, injury to... Insult to injury, rather. Um, Ryan, let's start with Ferrari and Leclerc. I think everybody in the F1 world... Yeah, I, I bet Max Verstappen was like, oh, well, thank God. Thank God Ferrari didn't <laughs> fail him again. Now, he had the throttle issue in the mm. last few laps, which I thought there was kind of an, oh, here we go again, sort of sentiment going through everybody, including in Ferrari. As soon as Leclerc fit, uh, went through the finish line and got the checkered flag, he said, I was so scared, um, yeah. which is, at this point, your default if you're a Ferrari driver. Um, well, how nice was it to see 
Leclerc finally punch it in after winning, what, four polls in a row, something like that, um, to see him punch it in and finally get a win. Yeah, I was really happy for him because I think a lot of the Ferrari drama or a lot of the talk about strategy and also Carlos Sainz winning his first Grand Prix in Silverstone, on the whole, I've seen people talk about it, but I think it's got a little bit lost just how well Charles Leclerc has been driving all season. Yes. Actually, I mean, bar maybe Imola, I think, which was probably more down to his own error, his his mm-hmm. final result. Every mishap that's happened has kind of been strategy-based, out of his hands, or mechanical. He hasn't really put a, f- a foot wrong this season. He's had some unbelievable moments, like his overtake on Lewis Hamilton at Silverstone on really old hard tires when everyone else was on brand new softs was one of the best overtakes of the year yep. without doubt and one of the best one of the bravest overtakes I've seen at that corner especially what happened last year everyone knows about with Max and Lewis so I'm just really pleased for him that he got a win that although he was quite dominant throughout the the race it wasn't it wasn't one of those lonely races out in front mm-hmm. he had to overtake Max twice he had a little bit of difficulty like you mentioned with the throttle issue towards the end and also when you see your teammate have a mechanical issue the first thing you think is whether it will also happen on your own <laughs> yeah. so so i think for him it was just i think it was not redemption because that seems a little bit over right. the top but maybe validation on how well he has been driving over the last couple of months since his last or few months since his last win yeah and leclerc said afterwards that you know it was obviously it was he said it was particularly good to win but obviously they need to look at what happened with carlos because reliability is still a problem when you see that type of incident and by the way that was an incredibly was really scary, scary incident yeah. it was really scary and they, and they they cut away from it because it potentially got much scarier i mean like so carlos has the engine failure he goes off he goes to the runoff area and then immediately fire starts coming out and then it keeps going and it felt like there was no urgency from from anybody around carlos then the car is going backwards it isn't stopped he's trying mm-hmm. to stay in the car and then he's just like wait the flames are pretty high here. I'm just going to jump. And then he sits down. And I think that there was a lot of there were a lot of people saying that, like, almost memeing Carlos sitting on the ground and being like, oh, yeah, another another tough weekend for Ferrari. Like, no, I think that was just pure, like, oh, my God, what the hell just happened? I was almost on fire. I think that was the reaction. That was terrifying. And if you're if you're Leclerc seeing that, like, I mean, again, that could have happened to his car as well. Yeah, I think it's how many of us have been in a car rolling backwards trying to get out when it's literally <laughs> on fire a few centimeters away from us. I think it's quite, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's going on with F1 at the moment, but there seems to be a real spikiness to a lot of the fan base. Yeah. Um, in various cases, there was a lot of, there were loads of reports about really off-key behavior on track, sure. well, not on yeah. track, but in the stands at, at, the, at, at the, the Grand Prix weekend. A- a- F1 released a statement about yeah, that. Yeah, we saw that yeah. saying that they were going to investigate about it. Um, and just also, I know it's a little bit pantomime, but cheering people crashing, booing people when they're talking, yeah. especially in a, in a season when those two drivers specifically, we know who we're talking about, Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton, aren't really competing with each other directly in right. races or the championship. And I don't know, I'm not sure if this, if this has anything to do with it, but I think that when you see someone getting out of a car... I don't want to kind of be the fun police because I know that's super boring. But when 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 you see someone escape an incident like that, that fire in, in F one is one of the things that people fear the most because yeah, 100%. it adds. It, you know, we've seen obviously with Joe's crash in Silverstone, yeah, and the way that even like Mix in um, was it Saudi? I think he had that big shunt, or it might mm-hmm. have been Qatar. Yep. When you see the how the F one cars are designed and the way that they're they're yeah, just split in half. Yeah, exactly. You you kind of know, even though the shunt is going to be quite heavy, no one wants to crash, but you kind of have a little bit of faith in what's going on because you know how the car is supposed to respond. When you had fire yeah. into that and it spreads that quickly because it did spread very quickly and it went from looking like just a, an engine failure. Carlos was pulled over in a really smart position and then all of a sudden he's rolling backwards and the flames are spreading quicker towards him. That's not something you want to meme. I don't think. I I, I <laughs> agree. Like, I agree. Yeah. I, I yes. I agree. And I'm just glad he's out. Okay. Like in short, we can we can yeah. You know, with things like that, it's just horrible. So we'll use that as a jumping off point to talk about Ferrari in general. Because so let's start with the throttle thing. Because I thought all of the greats 
have situations like this. I mean, Schumacher famously not being able to switch gears. Um, you know, so many of the situations that Lewis got out of for for years. Um, now, obviously, the best car, but they're you know, when you're a dominant driver, you're going to have to overcome things. Uh, I thought as soon as the throttle issue was reported, it was, and then it was, then he said it was fine. Then he came back and said there's another throttle issue. They said, and then Ferrari the, over the radio said there's, it might have gotten stuck in some way. He couldn't. I think it was in the twenty percent braking position, or, or you know, they really couldn't um, get a handle on it. Verstappen was charging. He got within three seconds with, I think, two laps to go. Leclerc's ability to keep Verstappen at bay, to even get it to the finish line, to corner it effectively under those conditions, I thought that was hugely impressive, Ryan. Yeah, and I think every driver needs a moment like that at some point, especially yeah. if they're going to push push for a world championship. There was obviously the, the famous Ayrton Senna one um, driving a car that was stuck in a certain gear as well. I think Lewis has spoken about this before, and I think Lewis obviously deals with a lot of different types of adversity that everyone else on, or most people on the grid do anyway. But a lot of people say Lewis is, for example, I don't want to make this about Lewis, but I'm talking like using him as an example of great drivers. When they when they face adversity in certain situations, though, getting through that is a really big psychological barrier to break through, and especially if you're mm. ch- if you're pushing for your maiden championship. And I think for Charles, it was one of those actually. I think it was it was maybe a little bit. I'm, for example, I was thinking. Maybe the Ferrari of three or four races ago gets reeled in a little bit more by Max. And I know they've trimmed yeah. a little bit of downforce for Silverstone and they've brought some upgrades and it's looking a little bit closer to Red Bull in race trim as opposed to just being really good on the Saturday and not having the race pace on the Sunday. I think we saw through the race just how quick it was when both of them reeled in Max twice, essentially. But I think with everything that's been going on with Charles over the last couple of months, it would have been super easy and probably quite understandable to not get it over the line. Yep. And, and I think for him, it was just really impressive. It was a really impressive weekend for him. I think he probably could have done a little bit more in the sprint, judging by the race pace the Ferrari had uh, on Sunday. But other than that, I just thought he was just superb all weekend. And I'm just really pleased for him to get it to get that win again. Yep, I am too. And again, like there's at some point it just it becomes malpractice if Ferrari somehow. I mean, the strategy was fine. The tire degradation was on the other side of 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 the race um today because Max Verstappen was complaining about it all day. The grip, we're going to get to Red Bull and and Max there. But let's get to the drivers championship standings because Eclair now is 170 points, 38 points adrift of Max, okay? Checo 151 Signs 133, Russell 128, Hamilton 109, then that huge gap to, to Norris and, and Ocon and Botas. Okay. I'm curious what, if anything, today changed. I mean, I saw Scott Mitchell made the point that I thought I thought was a good one, which is if there was any lingering doubt about how Ferrari should operate the rest of the year, today kind of confirmed that we should go, you know, ha- halfway through the season. It's time for team orders. It's time to prioritize the Claire over signs. Signs got his 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 GP win. Everybody's really happy about that. But like this has to be the number one priority needs to be Leclerc's standing in the drivers' championship. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's ahead in the halfway stage of the season. He's the closest challenger to Max. He's the better driver of the two. I think pound for pound, car for car. I've said this before on this podcast, like I, I definitely put him in top three drivers on the grid. Mm-hmm. I think his decision-making is usually pretty pretty impressive. He's obviously mega quick. And as we saw today, like, and last week, his his range of moves that he has at his disposal for overtaking, I think is, is something that goes a little bit underappreciated as well with Charles Leclerc. Like the first move on Max down the inside at, turn with it yeah. four mm-hmm. was a really really good move because that gap was closing and as we've seen before when max gets pushed like that he it doesn't take much to, for him to get his elbows out i i think i think you know max gets maybe a little bit too much stick for getting his elbows out but i think that he you know if maybe that had been a different rival maybe you would have seen a little bit more um, is that the right sentence? My uh, as the as the, the my English is terrible, even though I'm English. Uh, getting, <laughs> would you have liked to have seen a little more elbows out? I don't know, but yeah, I just think he's 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 the better driver, and I think that he has been the victim of some poor strategic decisions this season. 
Yeah. And without those strategic decisions, he would have been a hell of a lot closer and potentially in the lead of the championship. So yeah, Ferrari have to prioritize him, I think. So let's talk about someone who normally gets very good strategic decisions. That's Max Verstappen. So as I said, he basically blamed this on tire degradation. Uh, he was complaining about the grip over the radio the whole time. He gets passed, obviously, on lap 11, 33, and 53. And his point afterwards, which I think is probably a sound one at this point, is to lose only five points over this weekend. Max won the sprint race. Um, he claimed the pole for what that's worth in a sprint weekend. So for him to lose only five points over a weekend where they considered it a tough weekend is is basically holding serve. I don't think that that disappointed. Now, I do think Austria, just the fact that this this track is seems tailor-made for Red Bull, um, you know, Mercedes, you know, Toto was was on the, the post-race stuff saying basically he didn't think they had any chance this weekend and to get a podium was great um, for Merck. Like, this is Red Bull circuit. So in that regard, um, it is disappointing. But I do think that the way that, that Verstappen was talking about the tires today, they just weren't going to have the pace. And I think that the ability for them to get second to basically still command the driver's championship, I think this was a, this was a fine day for Max. Yeah, I think when you're that far ahead in the championship, in the constructors for Red Bull and in the driver's championship for Max, I think it's about minimizing, it's like damage limitation on the weekends that yeah. don't go your way. And obviously with the constructors, they had a real touch with Sainz's retirement, especially after Checo had retired. And you know, if the bad weekends look like this for the end, until the end of the season, then they'll be fine. I mean, maybe you, can't, you don't really want to have too many like this, but I think a second place finish and a sprint race victory plus the fastest lap. He did get fastest lap in the end, I think, right? I believe so, yes. Yeah, so that's not a bad haul on a weekend where you may have come away disappointed. I think, you know, double DNFs are the ones that you don't want. And obviously early on in the season when they had the reliability issues with the engine, that's what they were getting. And then likewise, Ferrari. I think it's going to be really interesting, not wanting to skip on too much, but I think it's going to be really interesting to see if anything changes in France because of yeah. these new regulations with flexing um floorboards floorboards yeah yeah and now you know we don't we haven't had this who's like which teams have been targeted by that disclosed but a lot of people have, have been whispering about who they think it might target and many <laughs> people many people say it might be red bull and ferrari so it's going to be yeah. really interesting to see if there's any performance or major perform like noticeable performance drop off not just by those two teams because i don't think they're the only two who are doing it if they are doing it but from France onwards, I don't think that this championship, for example, is over by any means. And I don't think that Red Bull will be looking at the gap that they have in the constructors and Max will be looking at the gap that he has in the in the driver's championship and think it's in the bag nowhere near. Because we saw early on in the season just how quickly 30, 40, even 50 points can evaporate yeah. with 11 races to go. So that's something I want to talk about because... You talk about the bad weekends, and if, if they're bad mm. weekends, if Red Bull's bad weekends are like this, they're still doing fine. I mean, that's the old line about all the greats, right? Tiger Woods, it's not about his A game, it's that his, his C game is still really good. That's why he was able to make the cut for, you know, whatever it was, a decade, every single tournament. You look at Ferrari, they had a run starting in Imola where Leclerc went sixth and then second, okay? But then he retired fourth, retired fifth, fourth, right? Can't even get on the podium except for one retired twice. That's what you have to avoid. And that's the reason Leclerc is not going to win the Drivers' Championship. That's why they're not going to win the Constructors' Championship is because they didn't, didn't limit those bad weeks. So Max gets seventh last week, but he still has uh, a podium in every race uh, aside from that after Australia, where he retired. Like That's how you have the consistency. And that's why I've been impressed with even, you know, again, they probably should have won in Austria on paper, but the fact that uh, it was what they described as a tough weekend, like this is this is a fine weekend. Um, all right, so let's get to, to Checo there. Um, he goes out very quickly in the first lap in turn four with an incident with George. Uh, what do you think about that incident? Um, that's a tricky corner. We've seen a lot of damage there. You don't want to take a lot of risks there. Checo did it anyway. Uh, what do you think, Ryan? I think it was fair. Yeah, actually, I think it was fair punishment. We saw a lot of people get penalized for that throughout the race. Five five second time five second time penalty, uh, which was served during the pit stop for George. Yeah, um, yeah, I think it was fair. Um, I think there was enough room for both cars to get around, and I think Martin Brundle said something interesting on commentary though that I think it was more the speed that George was carrying meant that even if he'd given his uh, given the steering a little bit more lock, he would have ended up understeering into Checo yeah. anyway. So, I think you know, much like the Max and Charles incident at that same corner where Max 
was trying to squeeze Charles a little bit. And then he kind of knew that if he was going to squeeze a little more, there would be contact and it's not worth jeopardizing his race for. Now, in the end, it didn't really cost George Russell a huge amount. It's still a good finish for him, you know, and it continues his, apart from Silverstone, his really impressive run of results this season. But I think for Red Bull, yeah, that's just one of those really, really annoying ones. I, th- I, I, I can't imagine what it's like as a driver to just be... I mean, I, I don't think Checo was at fault. I can see why some people are saying, you know, it's early on in the race as well. They're carrying a lot more fuel. They, uh, stewards tend to be a little bit more lenient on racing incidents in the early part of the race because the cars are so close together and they're obviously way heavier and tyres aren't up to temperature, et cetera, et cetera. But we saw a lot of people get penalized for either tagging someone at that corner or track limits at various corners and I think actually overall the stewards were pretty consistent this weekend we saw it in the sprint race as well people were getting penalized and they they kept up that consistency which is interesting to see whether they've just decided to do it now and make more of a show about it because they were really not very into dishing out punishments at Silverstone where I think a lot of people got away with some quite ropey racing and and there's inconsistency in personnel from week to week and i also say that i'm okay with it as long as consistent for the weekend right it's like in baseball yeah um which you may not understand this analogy at all but the you know it, it's not about a bad strike zone or a wide strike zone or a narrow strike zone it's about just a consistent strike zone and if once you get an inconsistency that's where you, you end up being a horrible umpire um and so the fact they over punished everybody they gave alonzo an unsafe release penalty and they're going to, it sounded like Otmar was going to protest that essentially Alonzo um, was having huge vibrations in his car, went back into pit. And I, there was some, there was some debate about that, that both Alonzo and Otmar basically said that was, that was a, a BS penalty. I will, we'll see what happens out of that. Um, but yeah, I, you know, there was, there was a report that Seb Vettel got, got summoned for uh, his behavior in a driver's meetings over some of these punishments. Um, it just seems like it seems like drivers just want a little more consistency. And uh, for better or worse, Ryan, they got it on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I texted you saying this is the track, the track limits Grand Prix <laughs> because it just seemed to be everyone was getting track limits, to, like the little radio messages popping up. And it was just like, Hamilton Radio, track limits turned five, turn six. Yeah. And it was like someone else, second warning, track limits, black and white flag, et cetera, et cetera. But I actually think um, a couple of things on that. I think Carlos Sainz were, was a little bit lucky to get away with that move on George Russell yes. at turn one. And I think this is one area where I think maybe drivers are a little bit confused because there was this new initiative for the season to essentially let drivers... Uh, we saw a lot of this last season with the with the Lewis and Max battle about overtaking off track and gaining a lasting advantage. And, you know, we saw it in the final race of the season where, was it Lewis gave the advantage back in terms of he mm-hmm. kind of took his foot off the gas a little bit and... Obviously, Max going way off the track however many times last season. And I think everyone just has those moments. I don't. I think that sometimes, especially at that stage of the Grand Prix, first corner, like we've mentioned before, you're heavy, your, your tires aren't up to temperature. You, you might run a little bit wide. But I think um, the fact that Carlos Sainz lost no momentum and then got George on the straight, I thought he was a little bit lucky to escape a penalty there, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe... That's one of those, if that happens later on in the race, he maybe gets hit with something. But I th- but this is the one area, I think the track limits thing for this race, I think for this circuit as well, it's such a quick circuit, it's such a short lap. And there is quite a lot of runoff area on the curbs. You can really kind of go wild, like playing it on the game, for example. If, I don't know if you've ever done the time trial at Austria oh, on the game. Oh, that's but all I do. My, my, my time trial just gets like invalid lap because of <laughs> track limits. Invalid lap because of track limits. A hundred percent. The steward, the F1 2022 stewards are unbelievably strict. That's why I was laughing about this because those <laughs> those never get called in real life and I get really mad at the controller yeah. or whomever. I wish there was a way to make the stewards less strict in F1, in the F1 simulator yeah i mean if i had if i had a pound for every time jeff the engineer on the f1 2020 uh, 2021 game was like hi this is jeff i need you to stop cutting corners it's just like shut up jeff i'm not i'm not cutting corners i'm just gonna go kimmy reikonen on him and be like will you just shut up and leave me alone wait that happened with lance troll today did you see that uh lance troll tells race engineer to shut up I tend to kind of zone out when I see Lance Stroll radio because <laughs> I'm just, I don't know. He's not my, let's just say he's not my favorite driver in the world. But uh, but also the way that Aston Martin are going this season as well, they've been such a such a disappointment, I think, that yeah. 
they're kind of there, but they're not, they're rarely involved in anything super interesting, which I think is a bit of a, bit of a shame for them. But yeah, anyway, so back to the track limits thing. I think that consistency is great. I think, um, actually it added a little bit to the drama of the race that everyone seemed to be getting track limits warnings. And I quite like that. I think, you know, Martin Brundle always says, you know, the white lines are there. You got to keep it within the white lines. And I think that, yeah, I know that there are visibility issues on the cars this season, especially with the wheel covers, et cetera. But I, I'm not, I, I think if it's consistent, I'm, I'm not too against people getting called for track limits. Speaking of the stewards, uh, Leclerc has been summoned to the stewards um, for a potential uh, rules breach. I don't, I, we're going to keep an eye on that. I was going to talk about this because I, I, when, when he was radioing about the issue with the throttle, I was, <laughs> I was kind of just saying like, shut up, Charles, shut up. Don't, yeah. don't, because that goes into the, you know, driving an unsafe car. Or, uh, right. If there's an issue so severe like that, that with throttle issues and you're driving an unsafe car, you can, you can receive a penalty. So I was a bit like, Charles, man, just, you're all right. Just you're good, stop, man. stop giving them, stop snitching on yourself. You know, they're not going to help you with the throttle stuff, bro. You're only going to exactly. help yourself. Chris Medlin, who is actually coming on this pod soon, reports that the summons is related to, quote, failure to follow the instructions of the relevant officials for the safe and orderly conduct of the event. I don't, we don't know exactly what that means, except to say that uh, we're, this is either going to stay in as a funny little footnote or we're redoing the pod in an hour. <laughs> All right, let's get to the midfield. So there was a five-way scrap for eighth that I just loved. Uh, this was a great midfield day. All sorts of, of, of new faces, faces reappearing, Daniel Ricardo in the points. Thank God for that. Just something else to talk about. At one point, Lewis Hamilton, who again got a podium, uh, said, quote, the straight line speed is crazy. And he was talking about a Haas. But we have seen that this season. They've been they've been pretty racy. And uh it's one of the I think it's one of the feel-good stories of the season, in a sense. I mean, I know that they they really struggled last season. There was obviously a lot of drama around them at the beginning of the season with the sponsorship issues and Mazapin yeah. being ousted as a driver. It was great to see Magnuson come back in and had that amazing drive in race one. Mick to score his first points. And actually Mick was a little bit up against it. There were a few, I saw a few people kind of saying, you know, if this guy had a different surname, maybe he'd be getting a lot more shit. Right. And he's really turned it around. He's been driving really, really well. The car looks good. The drivers look happy. They seem to be thinking about the, the, an overall good result for the team. Like Mick in the yes. sprint race saying, can you get Kevin to slow down to give me DRS? Cause he was trying to fight off Lewis. I thought it was very smart. It just looks like that's a really, to me, I don't know what you think, Kevin, but I, I, I think in terms of a, a very well-balanced team this season, mm-hmm. outside of the, the, the big boys, you'd be hard pushed to find one in better shape than Haas, I think, in terms of their driver lineup, in terms of team principle, and actually who the drivers are, and the car, it's looking not too, not too shabby. I would say that I'm hugely impressed by Mick in this regard, which is that Magnuson comes in and starts beating them pretty regularly and shows what the pace capability is of that car. Mick starts to push it, and the result was a bunch of crashes and a bunch of shunts, right? Yeah. And it would be so easy for him to lose confidence after that, to say, I can't push it. I can't get to the limit. I can't get to where Magnuson is. I'm not that good of a driver. It is so easy to, to, to have that thought in your head when you push it and you fail, to keep going, to get sixth in this race. Um, after everything. I mean, you saw that even with, with the, in Miami with, with the Vettel incident, he was so close so many times to keep pushing. It would have been so easy. I know this sounds like the, the most sort of armchair psychologist thing in the world, but like it would have been so easy for him to fold and he didn't do it. And to pick up confidence over the course of a season like that, um, I thought, I, I, I think the world of him, I mean, it was funny because it just shows you the pressure he's under. We did, a, I asked for listener questions as I always do. And two or three of them were like, is, is Schumacher to Ferrari back on? And it's like, calm. <laughs> this is how we got here. Was just Let people live, man. <laughs> and, but this is how we got here, which is just like uh, all these expectations on Mick. And then they go away immediately. And it's, oh, he needs to send him to F3. And then all of a sudden he gets, he says two points weekends in a row and it's back on to Ferrari. I just, it doesn't happen in other sports. Like, this doesn't, if Zidane's kid like had a good game. I don't, you know, if you played for Celta Vigo and had a good game, it wouldn't be like, he must transfer to Madrid right now. 
We wouldn't oh, do I that. Know. See, I, I'm an Arsenal fan, and this happens quite a lot with Arsenal boys. Like, well, that's just because you guys have lower standards. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks. But, uh, <laughs> let's talk about. Let's couple, talk about. Cu- cu- couple of good Europa League nights, Europa League uh, early round nights. It's just nice to be back in Europe. But um, I know that I would caveat the praise that I gave Haas before by saying, obviously, yes, they are still seventh of ten teams in the standings. But this was a team who, at the beginning of the season, I mean, last season they finished bottom of the standings. And this season, with the withdrawal of funding because of Mazepin Senior, and yeah. then obviously the the like we mentioned before, having to remove him as a driver just before the first race, I think the fact that they are comfortable they're not comfortable. It's only seven points, but you know they're ahead of Alpha Tauri, who I think mm. have been a little bit underwhelming overall this, this season. They are ahead of Alf, um, Aston Martin, sorry, and they're mm-hmm. obviously ahead of. Of Williams who who are in last place, and they're only seventeen points off Alfa Romeo. That's one race potentially. Yeah. That's a double. Yep. That's a double points finish, and they can overtake them in the standings. So, I just think they really they started well, obviously with Magnussen's finish in Bahrain, and then they had a real slump for a few races, and there were a few questions being asked. And the fact that they've come back to some level of consistency, and they do look quick, mm-hmm. um, I think they deserve a lot of praise. And Mick deserves a lot of praise as well because I think that it would have been very easy. You know, we were talking about this before with Charles, but I think it would have been very easy when you mentioned it for him to to kind of get in his own head a little bit um, yeah. with people saying whatever they were saying about him. So yeah, I'm just really happy for him. Yep, I'm happy too. Um, anybody else in midfield notable for you? I mean, Gasly gets the Gasly also got a five second time penalty for for a, a collision with Vettel, um, so he finishes. Yeah, he had, a, had a bit of a messy race. Fifteenth, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it was it was a very very strange race um, past the podium. By the way, I do want to note this: Hamilton and Max have also been summoned to the stewards, so we might accidentally get a George Russell, Esteban Ocon, Mick Schumacher podium if they all got if they all get dinged. Hmm. I wonder what that's for. I don't. Apparently, I, I honestly have no idea. They must have all done something when coming in to the. Pits? I'm not really sure, but it sound, now that I've seen that all three podium drivers have been summoned, I'm officially not worried. They're not going to invalidate everybody on the podium. You never know, man. We could be looking at... A, did you say Russell had been summoned as well? Uh, Russell's not been summoned. Okay, so we could have a Russell Ocon Schumacher podium. <laughs> Russell would be like the guys in like the, the weightlifting competitions where, or the Tour de France where like everybody gets busted for doping and then like the guy who was fourth gets it and then, they, and then five years later they admit to doping too. <laughs> That's I always love that about about like there's certain competitions where it's like oh this guy won the so and so and it's like oh well, he actually finished ninth and everybody before him got disqualified for various reasons. Um, that could be George Russell. If that happens, we're doing a whole re-record just on Mick's first podium. I'd be unbelievable. Um, I I sent you that picture of uh, what's it the the five the five into one corner yeah scrap. Um, who was it? Was it? It was a, it was Bottas. It was Mick. It was Magnussen. Yeah. Alonso. Who was the fifth? Was it Norris? It was Norris. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, can we just do 45 minutes on this? Because this is genuinely unbelievable. And I think we, I know we've talked about it, you guys have talked about it at various times this season, but I think it's just worth ra- ra- um, raising again how great this season has been yes. overall. Obviously not wanting to jump ahead to looking forward, but I think that I've been a huge fan of the new regulations. I think that some of the racing that we've seen this season, we've just never seen, we haven't been able to see, especially in the turbo hybrid era, because of just, the the cars would just overheat one or two laps of some of the racing that we've seen this season. And I think it's been super entertaining, like seeing people go, you know, overtake, then re-overtake. And actually quite interesting in terms of like, when there's a little bit of a DRS train going on, like I, I know Miami was a little bit extreme and we had like, was it like an eight car DRS train that just followed each other around for forever. But it's been really fun seeing people get involved in scraps that they just probably wouldn't have been able to under the previous regulations. So yeah, I just wanted to give a shout out for that five car battle. I think sometimes American viewers think it's always been kind of NASCAR-ish. You've, you've been watching this for 20, 30 years. Like there have been eras where just nothing happened. And you cannot, cars yeah. cannot follow each other. Cars cannot go into corners um, with each other. And like, this is, this is not 
like perfect racing, but it's what it's what they told us was going to happen, which is cars close to each other. And you know, listen, the hundred and seven percent rule. I don't I don't get into all that stuff, but like, there's probably more parity um, than there has been in a in a long time in Formula One. Now they've done different things over the decades to get the cars closer together, but you know, over the I, I don't have a feeling that in this regulation era that the teams that are dominating now are the teams that are going to dominate for the next seven, eight years. I don't think it's going to be like, like Merck and, and after, after their last re- regulation changes where they, they, they took over from Red Bull and then didn't relinquish it um, for basically the entire era. I think you're going to see a little bit more jockeying among teams, among cars, among dominant drivers. Yeah, I agree. And I also think that it's a sign of how good the regulations have been that I think if you're going to step back from it after Silverstone especially, you'd probably say, yeah, it's been a good season, I think it's a little bit underwhelming overall in terms of the standings. And I think that's because we've seen racing that we haven't really been able to see for a long time just because the equipment hasn't allowed them to do that. With, you know, tires were just, if if you ran that close for a sustained amount of time, as we've seen drivers race each other this season, you'd have engine temperature issues, tire deg would just be off the charts. And I think that that's been a great, thing about this season is actually seeing these battles and seeing them down the order as well and seeing like i i can't remember seeing many incidences where you've had three or four or five cars going into a corner within three car lengths and you've mm-hmm. you've seen that a lot this season so you know i think there are obviously more regulation changes on the way there's engine changes coming as well down the line and i think the cars are going to get a lot lighter because these are heavier cars this season and maybe that's that that combined with the visibility issues is why we've seen some kind of track limits issues on a on a on a track like Austria but I think that the changes are great and we're not even that deep into the the cost capping aspect of it and the wind tunnel thing as well so I think that's that stuff's going to be really good three or four years down the line by the way cost cap related we had some listener questions that were in the same genre which is at what point does Ferrari run up against the cost cap i mean, like it's mm. getting pretty serious at this point yeah i mean i uh, honest answer is i don't know because i'd have to check I mean, we also just don't know we haven't seen this is it's not like the nfl salary cap you can't just go oh they're up against it there's no spo yeah. track for for the cost cap yet there should be yeah i mean it's going to be interesting to see what happens because i remember early on in the season when there were a couple of dnfs people were talking about yeah. red bull having to maybe skip races because they obviously yeah. had those two retirements in the first three yeah well that was also christian horner just trying to drum up some sympathy hands on hips being like well we're gonna have to look at it down <laughs> well, the line you know well, well we, we, well, we have a look we're gonna have a look like, at that it's unacceptable yeah i think you'll be fine i think you'll be fine but uh, no it's an interesting question it's something that i think it's worth keeping an eye on as well and could potentially especially like we, we mentioned before the changes to the the flex in the floorboard issues yeah um in the flooring sorry this could be something that maybe doesn't happen in like super dramatically but it could be the equivalent of you know we've seen people already take engine penalties and start from the back of the grid or so that kind of thing could could play a part in the championship further down the line like towards the end of the season this episode is brought to you by state farm you might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I want to get to a listener question before we start previewing the second half of the season. Um, this is from Romain. Is Esteban Ocon the most underrated driver on the grid? Costs least amount of damage to his t- team last year. Avoids big mistakes. Manages his tires well. and can pass people when needed while keeping car on the track. Ocon finishes fifth today. Does he have a case for underrated driver? Maybe. Yeah. I think since he's come back to Alpine, 
I think we'd seen a much more mature Esteban Ocon. I think before that, yeah. we there were a few times where he was a little bit erratic in his decision making. I think a lot of young drivers go through that. We, t- I think I talked about this with you last season with with Max. Uh, well, it must have been the beginning of this season, sorry, when we were pre uh, talking about yeah. Drive to Survive, about how a lot of people forget that he is still really, or he was really quite young in terms of overall adult maturity levels and that, you know, Lewis was a little bit more erratic in his younger days as well. But I think young drivers feel like that because there are so limited seats um, in Formula One, when the pressure comes, you really want to, you really need to prove yourself. And I think that that can, that can be tricky for young drivers, especially when there is someone always waiting to take your seat. I think last season we saw a little glimpse of that with Ocon. There was, there was, you know, there was a great balance between him and Alonso there. We were talking about teammate yeah. partnerships before. Um, him winning that Grand Prix last season, how how happy Alonso was for him. Uh, and likewise, the times where he tried to defend for uh, for Alonso. There's definitely an, an extra layer of maturity there with him. Um, as, as for being the most underrated, I'm not really sure. I think he's definitely in for a shout. It's a hard question. Because if you're asking like who who's a who is never talked about and is a really good driver, I mean like honestly, it's like Daniel Ricardo and Fernando Alonso. Like those those are the guys where it's like they're irrelevant to the title discussion, but they're still damn good drivers. Um, I mean Ricardo is is you know it's about that time for him. But like I mean, it's hard for me. Like Gasly's in the mix there. I think for underrated driver, even though he had a mess of a day, Albon is in the mix there for for being an underrated driver. Um, I mean, honestly, on their day, they're all kind of underrated unless they're on the podium. Yeah, I think what we're seeing this season is just how good some of those drivers are that we maybe didn't, or the general public maybe didn't think were that great. Right. Um, I think some of the more disappointing aspects of that, like I actually think Gasly is probably, I don't want to go too hard on him because I like Pierre Gasly, but I think he's maybe slightly underperformed for his own standards this season, I think, so Mm -hmm. far. But I also wonder whether that's an Alpha Tower issue because that car just doesn't look anywhere near as nippy as it was last season. I also think there's 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 a I, this is a terrible thing to say, but like you know, there's we all know in all sports kind of contract year, we're yeah. gonna go out and perform. And I think that Gasly, knowing he had literally no options, Helmut Marco coming out and saying you have literally no options except to be in Alpha Tower next year. You did a where's he gonna go press conference. Like it has to be a little bit demoralizing, at least in the last couple of races, to know like there's nothing I can do. And and to I think that he would be in the mix for for a better seat. Um, you know, in the mix for a McLaren type seat in the next two years if he was able to go. Um and I think that the fact that he's he's stuck in the Alpha Towery is probably a little bit demoralizing. Yeah, I think it can be tricky when you're a rebel works driver and breaking out of that system. I mean, we've seen Alex Albon do it this season and get permission to go to Williams, but it can be very tricky, especially when you've had the seat in the in the works team taken away from you, like Albon and Gasly both have. Um, that second seat in the Red Bull is, can, be, can be quite a tricky seat to navigate or operate. And we've seen a lot of people fall foul of it over the years. Um, I mean, even Carlos Sainz stepped away from that that works team, you know, uh, or the, being, a, being a Red Bull driver. I have a take on this. I just ran past Rhino Hanlon a couple weeks ago because you look at the way how many of the best drivers came through Red Bull. They're almost a bit like Chelsea in a sense that they they just Everyone's signed. Everyone's on them. <laughs> yes. It, well, they, sign, they, they have an incredible eye for talent, but there's just not enough spots. So then they mm-hmm. end up just flooding the grid with their alumni and they have more. I mean, like you think about all the people who have come through Chelsea and there's just not enough spots. And also, they're also going to be able to sign whoever they want for the top, top spots. So it's almost like having a youth development program is almost in almost a, a wash, right? Because, you know, even, even if they had no development whatsoever, they have the car where they could just go out and get the, the first or second best driver if they had an open seat, right? And obviously, they, the guys like Vettel, guys like Verstappen, that stuff is important. But they'd also be able to get top, top drivers with their car. Anyway, having said that, their eye for talent and their driver development program really is incredible. Yeah. Can I can I throw a question to you? Uh, yes. Because as an American who, you know, is very knowledgeable of multiple American sports, and we all know that Americans love, lo- love nothing more than applying the rules of American sports to other <laughs> sports. <laughs> they're they're going to change it to the, the NF1, the National Formula One League. That's right. And... Uh, is it going to be 22 races in America? No, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there's going to be 30 races how, in America. Exactly. You are, you are kidding. 
<laughs> how would you feel about a rule change that says teams who like works teams in Formula One can't run junior programs and yeah. that they essentially have you essentially have a draft each year for vacancies. So you free up the space mm. underneath that for because this is going a bit galaxy brain. But I'm wondering whether there's actually like a space there to 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 change the rules so that basically teams can't run junior programs that farm all of this talent. Maybe there's an F1 yeah. global talent or like a nationalized yeah. program that you can actually that isn't so team specific, but maybe it comes out of some team's budget at the top level. Do you think that, that do you th what, what I mean by that is that do you think it would benefit drivers, that silly little idea, but if, do you think there's a scheme or a, or a change that could benefit drivers in the long term by not being a works driver or in part of a junior program for, up until they reach Formula yeah. One? It's a great question. I don't, I think that having, in the same way, like a, a youth development team in European soccer helps them. Like there's a vest, you have very smart people with a lot of money behind it currently having a vested interest in 15 year olds succeeding. And I think that yeah. helps the development long term and it helps F1 generally. I don't think Williams is complaining that they weren't able to develop Alex Albon from the time he was 14, right? Or, or they, they weren't able to draft him or whatever. Like it's fine that he comes through Red Bull. He couldn't hack it in the top Red Bull seat. And now he's there. Like that's fine. That's the story of every sport is you come through the Manchester United Academy, you can't make it. And all of a sudden you end up at, at Derby County. That's fine. Um, so I'm not against that. I'm more into, we had this uh, when Trey Kirby was on last week, the idea of like, silly season being more centralized and being more, yeah. <laughs> more about like driver movement that is a little more NBA free agency ish. Um, and, and I think that, that would, would be, be more entertaining than just like, I think it's so boring now how like, you know, on, on August 3rd, we just get a press release that then Mick Schumacher has extended his contract for a year. Like, I don't want that. I want, yeah. he's on the free market. Oh, he's having four meetings. He might, he might go to IndyCar. <laughs> he might go to NASCAR. I don't know. Like, it's like, hang on a minute. How come, why is Woj now doing F1? It's like, well, uh, Ian Rappaport broke a Dortmund story the other day. I don't know if you saw that. My buddy no Ian Rappaport. Way. I haven't called him and figured wow. out why, why that happened. But like, I just like the idea of like Mick Schumacher's meeting with McLaren and, and he's taking a meeting <laughs> with Ferrari for some reason for the future. And he just met with, with Joe Gibbs for some reason. Like, that's what I need. I think, I think it's, uh, it's one of those. I think if our little, I think the, the drafting and the kind of removal of junior programs just wouldn't happen because there's just so few seats available. If it was, yes. you know, there were 25 teams and 50 cars on the track. Maybe it would be different, but I think it's just, it's just interesting. I, I, I don't obviously seriously suggest the draft system, but I think I'm, I'm just wondering whether a team affiliation, you know, when you had teams invest in you from such a young age, it can be really hard to maybe break free of that and can yeah. cause a little bit more tension and drama within within the paddock i suppose because like you know like red bull having to give alex albon special permission to go and drive for williams i think that's it it can be i just, I just imagine that it can be quite quite difficult for drivers yeah. seeking a different solution you know for stuff like that so yeah don't know i mean i think i think for Pierre, going back to Pierre gasly i think that you know i heard the uh was it i think it was on the, the show you did with trey as well about the gunther steiner's ferrari team principal <laughs> uh, hot take and i think that, that that what you see a lot within f1 specific specifically is just certain drivers are perfect for certain teams at a certain yeah. level and actually it can be really difficult to make that transition especially yeah. at such a young age because pierre gasly's not even that young anymore for a driver he's kind of in the mid of his career and i think he's uh He's he's a little bit like Theo Walcott in soccer, where like he's a prospect, he's a prospect, and then all of a sudden he'll be thirty, and you just haven't noticed. Yes, um, and I think that's that's something that I think we all forget with with sometimes with F one drivers. Sometimes they're just really young, and that can be a lot of pressure. I know that you should say also that you know it's a pressure sport, and you know they shouldn't be there. There are few, there's so few seats available. If you can't hack it, blah blah blah. But yeah, sometimes I I feel like a little bit. I mean, check me out, asking for a little bit more empathy for a load of dudes who get paid millions and millions and millions a year to drive a car. But still, uh, the way that like Albon and Gasly both lost their seats so quickly at Red Bull, I don't know. It just feels like a bit of a shame in the long term, you know? Speaking of Arsenal prospects, every time I go on Twitter, I see Jack Wilshire giving some hot take into the radio. Is he just, is he, is he like the, the JJ Redick of, of uh, 
soccer? Is he just firing off takes? He's a bit he's a bit younger than JJ. Yeah, so obviously retired this week. Yeah. So I didn't know that. I just see him on the radio yeah. all the time. Okay. Um, all right. So let's get to the rest of the season. We're at the halfway point. Um, I don't I don't anticipate much of a shakeup from the standings as we see them right now. Um, what are your things to watch in the second half of the season? Uh, that you're keeping an eye on? I just think that obviously we mentioned it before, but the slight alterations in the floor flexibility is yeah. something to keep an eye on and who that might hurt. Cause like I said earlier on, I think it might be outside of people that we expect. I also feel that Ferrari strategically would be something to keep an eye out for, because I think in this race, they deserve a lot of credit for getting their strategy spot on. Actually, I think that, sidetracking for a second but when no, Stappen pitted for his first pit stop it would have been really easy for them because of the gap that they had just to just to mirror Red Bull's strategy with Verstappen but actually realizing that if they had pitted him there they would have he would have come back out in traffic mm-hmm. leaving that a little bit longer giving him fresher tires knowing that he could overtake Verstappen and keeping an eye on the Red Bull deck I think was actually super smart like I think Ferrari bar that engine failure from Carlos Sainz were looking at a 1-2 which would have been huge for them in the driver's standing, in the constructor mm-hmm. standing, sorry, but also pretty big in the driver's standings because it meant that Leclerc would have closed the gap a little bit more on Verstappen. So I think there's been, it's, it's been, very, it's very easy to, to, to fire shots at Ferrari from a strategy point of view. And I, th- I think even whether you're a newcomer to the sport or whether you've, you're an old head who's been around for a long time, Ferrari's strategic issues can go, they go so far back. Like, mm-hmm. And before them, other teams were renowned for it, like you know, Williams. Like we, we felt we, we. I think the general consensus around Williams is that they're they're quite a smart team, but that wasn't always the case. They were right way back in the day. There was they, they seemed completely unable to get their strategy right. So I think it goes in phases. Um, I remember listening to an interview. I think it was with Pat Fry, where and he was talking about when he was at Ferrari, and something that stuck with me that kind of explains a lot of Ferrari's issues i'd say is that they they never really think long term they're right. always very like in the now and i think that maybe them uh, uh, the summer break i think could be quite important for them and to think a little bit more long term throughout the season and and do what we were talking about earlier that red bull did like minimize the damage on the on the poor weekends and really maximize it when they're when they're kind of flying i think elsewhere outside the top I mean, Mercedes continue to, I think, impress is probably the word yeah. I'd use, actually, considering yeah. the... I, I was going to bring them up, yeah. Yeah, considering the shit that they, they took early on in the season. Um, I think both Russell and Hamilton have been driving really well. Um, I think, to be honest, I think they're... If you look at the top six in the championship, maybe top seven as well, and maybe... Do you know what? It could, you could go all the way down to maybe... Kevin Magnussen in 11th in the standings. Mm. I think that top 11 has been driving pretty well most of the season. I think Lando is driving really well considering we've just seen weekends where the McLaren has just not been there at all from a pace perspective. But yeah, I think maybe the midfield is probably the most intriguing battle for me throughout the rest of the season. It's going to be really interesting to see who brings upgrades throughout the rest of the season, how good those upgrades have become, like whether Williams can kind of get it together because I know that they had uh, upgrades on Albon's car at Silverstone and whether they can actually start scoring some points. So I know I've covered quite a wide range there, but I think that it is, it is really uh, outside, of, outside of that championship battle, which is the obvious one. I think you'll see, you'll see Leclerc be prioritized for Ferrari. I think it's also going to be interesting to see what Checo's performance is like in the second half of the season. Because yes. I, I, I expect Checo to be leading races and perhaps some team orders to come into play. Yes. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that dynamic plays out because he is such an ultimate team player, Checo. He's one of the best drivers on the grid, one of the best teammates on the grid, I think, as well. Um, I agree. But yeah, I, I, think there's going to, I think there's a lot more to that could potentially shake it up. Um, that's a little bit of an on-the-fence answer, but I just find, I, even in seasons that maybe... You know, like I mentioned, I think with all the regulation changes, we there was a at Silverstone. It felt maybe a little bit like the season was drifting in in a little yeah. bit of an underwhelming way. There are always things within there. 
that are super interesting to me from an F1 perspective. Okay, so let's let's hone in on Mercedes because this floor flex thing, Toto Wolf last week came out and said, I can't believe that some teams are skirting the rules, which, you know, I, I bet he could believe oh, that no. <laughs> uh, being in Formula One for decades. Um, understanding car racing in general, every single formula of car racing, I bet he could believe that. Um, but Lewis Hamilton grinding on a podium today mm. impressed me. George Russell getting fourth impressed me. And I think if things start to destabilize after a regulation change within a regulation change and we start limiting the porpoising, I'm going to default to Mercedes picking up an advantage because they normally do. You know, we had, I had a listener question in the middle of the week saying, you know, it doesn't matter what Mercedes does, the media is always going to say Mercedes is going to figure it out. Yeah, in the same way that I say that about the New England Patriots over the past 10 years. Uh, I say that about the Golden State Warriors over the last 10 years, which is they've, they've shown a track record of figuring it out. So my guess is if we're playing the odds and everybody's got a chance to figure it out, yeah, Mercedes is going to do a better job at it than McLaren or maybe Ferrari. I'm not saying that Mercedes is going to win the Drivers' Championship or Constructors' Championship this year. I'm saying that if it becomes, if if teams start to scramble during the summer break, then George Russell and Lewis Hamilton have a good shot of winning a race or two in the second half of the season because of that. Yeah, I, th- I think it, we haven't really talked about it, but they deserve such a huge amount of credit because they had to essentially rebuild two cars this weekend. And the f- the job that they did or to, to get the cars ready after yeah. the qualifying crashes was was brilliant. It'd be interesting to see whether like how their cost capping thing has been affected. But I think with Mercedes, like for example, it wouldn't surprise me if you saw another Mercedes driver on the podium, uh, Paul Ricard, yep. in the next race. I think it's a circuit that will suit that car at the moment. But then it's later on in the season where you have this run of like more bumpy tracks mm-hmm. that they seem to struggle on. But then again, like we say, it's going to, so much of it depends on or is relative to what happens with the teams around them. So mm-hmm. like you say, I think, I think Mercedes has incrementally improved over the course of the season. The, there's been a dramatic, if you, if you kind of like look at them from the early races to now, there's been a huge improvement. I think a lot of people, I think I even said it when I was on the podcast for the draft. I think people were kind of shitting on that car a little more than they should do, mm-hmm. even though it was obviously way off Mercedes standards at the time. So, I mean, I just think you, if you look at their results, especially over the last few races, I think they've, they've kind of been, they've kind of been pretty consistent. I mean, George Russell, yeah. Bar Silverstone has been really consistent all season. Lewis Hamilton is looking more consistent than, you know, was that back-to-back podiums. Mm-hmm. They just seem to be, for weirdly, for, for a season that was supposed to be really, really dramatic for them, they seem to be just going about their business in quite a non-dramatic way, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep, I completely agree. And that's why I default to them doing something in the second half of this year. I think I think they'll win a race this season, put it that way. I don't think that's... I, think I, that's I, a, I said... I guess it was a month ago I said I thought both of them would win one race each which I'm mm. not I'm not backing off on considering No, I don't yeah, I don't think that's It's possible Max wraps this thing up, you know, with a few races to go and you know he's a 38 point cushion now. The biggest swing you can possibly have is 25 points if you get a, a DNF and then your your second place rival wins. Um and so I I think that's going to grow and I also think that, you know, reliability's been has been the point of this season and it's been the thing that everything swings on and I just haven't seen reliability problems from Red Bull the last couple of weeks and Ferrari caught on fire today so like yes that that to me is is a concern so that's it for us I think uh, unless you have any other uh, any, any other soccer analogies and do you want to talk about Theo Walcott no, no, no. I'm good. Thanks. No, oh, definitely well, not. You know, if, if, you hear, if you want to hear more soccer analogies, Stadio is back this week. So you can. You Stadio can is back this on week. On the Ring FC feed. This is my last race for, I don't know, two months. Reason being is that, uh, so we're going to have Chris Madeline on the pod the week after next, um, previewing Paul Ricard. And then uh, I have to go to the training camp tour. So I'm going to miss uh, two races. And then there's the summer break. I'm going to do an episode in, I'm going to be back before before that. Um, but it's just housekeeping things is that uh, for live shows, my noble and brave colleagues will be manning the ship um, for the next two races. I'll have midweek episodes 
before that, after that, all that stuff. And then I'll be back after the summer break for the Sunday recaps. Um, thank you guys for listening. Thank you to Chris Sutton for producing. Thank you to Rob for Ryan Hun for joining me. This has been the Ring Ref One Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. <laughs>